So again, this afternoon we are studying what Scripture teaches regarding the Lord's Supper, also as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 30 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we will now read Lord's Day 30 together. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins, through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit, we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins, through the suffering of Christ, unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine, and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them, and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper, who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, for then the covenant of God would be profaned, and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. As far as the reading of the Catechism. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the human body is really quite amazing. When you study the human body, you can see how everything works together so intricately and so well. One example is the, is the digestive system. We need the right amount of food to survive. And somehow, and I have no idea how this works, the body knows when it needs more fuel. And so the body sends signals to your brain that it, you need to eat. Now, for any biology majors out there, I'm sure I've botched that description very badly. It's true, I'm no scientist. Yet I think you get the general idea. And so often we take such an amazingly complex process for granted. For all, we experience it every day. We don't even think about it. But if we didn't get those signals from the body, we wouldn't know that the body needs more fuel. Life would be much more difficult or even impossible. Now, through the fall into sin, we can have problems with our bodies in this way. Sometimes those signals are not strong enough. Sometimes they're, they're there when they shouldn't be. And that's how it goes for physical hunger. However, even more problems arise when it comes to spiritual hunger. 
The fall into sin brought about a spiritual hunger in our hearts. And we need spiritual food to live eternally. However, so often people don't realize their need for spiritual food. Think they're okay. Or if they are spiritually hungry, they're trying to satisfy that need with the wrong things. In our culture, people try to satisfy that hunger simply with material possessions. In other cultures, they might engage in outright physical idolatry and false religions. But the Bible reveals to us our true need, sends those signals to us that we need spiritual food to live, to live eternally. See, the, spiritual, the Spirit uses the Word to convict us of our spiritual poverty and our need for Christ. And then he points us to Christ as the one who gives us life. That's also the message the Holy Spirit sends through the Lord's Supper also. He says through the Lord's Supper, he proclaims as he does in the Word, apart from Christ, we have no life in us. But in Christ, he feeds our souls the spiritual food we need that is also pictured for us in the Lord's Supper. So as I preach to you God's word this afternoon, I'll do so under the following theme and points. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ provides a spiritual meal for spiritually hungry people. And we'll look at, first of all, uh, the spiritually hungry people who come to the table. And second of all, the spiritual meal that Christ gives at his table. So this afternoon, we are focusing on what Scripture teaches about the Lord's Supper, also as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 30. This afternoon, we're going to focus on question and answers 81 and 82 of Lord's Day 30 before looking at the first one, question and answer 80, which is about the difference between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass. So first of all, we're going to look at the people who come to the table, and then we'll look at what Christ gives at his table. So who are to come to the table of the Lord? Well, answer 81 summarizes this well when it says, those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins. And those who trust their sin and remaining weakness is covered by Christ. And those who desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their lives. What do you... These three, three things describe here. Well, this is a perfect description of people who are truly spiritually hungry. People who desire to be fed by Christ. So who may come to the table of the Lord? Spiritually hungry people who know their need. Who know their poverty. People who need, know that they need to grow, they need to be changed. People who confess, I don't have life in myself, true life, and if someone doesn't give me true spiritual life, I'm going to die eternally. Now, some time ago, I heard a child ask his mom, Mom, why do I need to eat? Well... If you don't eat, then you won't grow. And if you never eat, then you'll starve 
you'll eventually die. Well, the same goes for spiritual food. Our souls need to eat, so to speak. And if they don't eat, we experience spiritual death. In fact, that is our natural state. Now, in one sense, of course, everyone, everyone in the world, believer or unbeliever, is spiritually hungry. The church father Augustine said it well when he prayed to God, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Those are beautiful words from Augustine. And it is true that everyone has that, that restlessness when they do not know Christ, that hunger. But what do people do instead? They try to fill that hunger with thing, other things than God. They don't come to God to be satisfied. They don't come to Christ for true life. Or they just try to ignore the fact that they have this spiritual hunger. A Christian, on the other hand, is someone who knows his spiritual or her spiritual bankruptcy. A Christian is someone who knows his or her sin. Christian is someone who says, I need to be filled with Christ to have life. And Christ invites those people to his table. He calls them to come to him, to find life in him. You can hear this call of the gospel throughout scripture. Consider Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Of course, it's not ultimately talking about physical food, but true spiritual food, life from God. Consider also Revelation 22, verse 17. Let the one who is thirsty come. The one who desires take the water of life without price. Then there's our Lord's words in John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's not talking about physical food. He's talking about the life he gives. Spiritual life. So anyone who is truly hungry and thirsty heeds this call. He may come to the table of the Lord. We don't come to the table because we have everything together in our lives. Far from it. We come because we know that without Christ we will die from spiritual starvation. And this is... This is the free offer of the gospel. It's God's free call that goes out to everyone. Come to Christ. Feed on him. Find life in him. And there's no admission fee. Right? There's no admission fee to, to come to the Lord's Supper. We just come with a hungry heart, being eager to be filled with Christ. You don't need to pay money Salvation is free. No, imagine, imagine we had that at real restaurants. Imagine that tomorrow, the keg in Winnipeg 
started advertising free meals. Come to our restaurant, everyone. Eat all the steak you want. The filet mignon is without price. The wine is on us, too. You don't even need to tip the waiter. Do you think people would heed that call? Do you think they would come? Of course they would. Pretty much everyone in Winnipeg would probably show up, grab a free meal. Well, the same call goes out to feed on Christ. This is how it is also with the Lord's Supper. It's free. Don't need to pay. The food is more satisfying than the keg. Here we might ask, well, if this is really the case, if this is really true, what I've just said, and it is true, why then do so many people ignore the free offer of the gospel? Or why might we get more excited about eating at a fancy restaurant than coming to the Lord's table? Why don't they come, people come and feast on Christ free of charge? This is the most priceless gift after all. Well, people don't come because they're not truly hungry. They, they're not displeased with themselves because of their sins, as we also have it in the Catechism. People don't come because they don't feel the need to feed on Christ to find life in Him. And they don't want to amend their lives and change. They might be hungry in a sense, but they want to fill that hunger with things that won't satisfy. And we have to be on guard against that. Do we, would we rather hold on to and, and taste the fleeting pleasures of sin rather than come to Christ and be filled with Him? Right? It's those people who must not be admitted to the Lord's table who had rather faced on the fleeting pleasures of sin rather than on Christ. If we would rather feast upon the fleeting pleasures of sin, then Christ does say to us, well, then do not come to my table. Right? Scripture teaches hypocrites and those who do not repent, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Right? The Lord's Supper, it's not a meal for those who who simply just want to embrace sin and, and hold on to their sins and not repent. Look at what we read from 1 Corinthians 11. The Apostle Paul could not commend the Corinthians. When they came together, it was not for the better, he says, but for the worse. Their Lord's Supper celebrations were actually not benefiting them, he says. In fact, what they were doing couldn't even rightly be called the Lord's Supper at all. There were divisions among them. A completely unchristlike attitude arose. The wealthy seemed to be treating the poor with contempt. Some were even getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Don't we understand that Christ died to save us from sins like that? To free us from sins like that? How then could we use the Lord's Supper as an opportunity to sin? Right? These were not people who are displeased with themselves because of their sins. They seem to be celebrating their sins rather than their Savior. And these were not people who were intent on amending their lives. It appears they 
were comfortable holding on to a sinful lifestyle. And because of that, God disciplined the Corinthians for their sin. By refusing to repent, they refused the Lord's Supper. And so, Paul says, many of them had become weak and ill. Some even died. God's displeasure was revealed to his congregation. The Lord was saying to his people, open your eyes to your ways. This is, this is not how my redeemed children behave. You're heading the wrong direction, and there are consequences if you keep going the way you're going. Let's take that to heart. Spirit says through Paul here, whoever eats bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so we indeed must examine ourselves. Are we hungry? Are we thirsty? Do you know your sin? Do you really seek to feast on Christ who gives you life? Do you desire to grow? To grow to become like Christ? Examine your heart. Are you hungry? And if you are truly hungry, then indeed you may come and eat. Come and eat and be satisfied with Christ gives himself in the supper. That brings us to our next point. So the meal Christ gives at his table is a meal for spiritually hungry people. Then we might ask, what exactly is the food that Christ gives at the table? Well, people have answered this question in different ways throughout church history. Martin Luther, for example, believed that Christ physically came with the bread, and the wine. He believed that Christ's human nature, after his ascension, became omnipresent, his human nature. And so he believed that Christ's body and blood then came with the bread and wine in a special way. So the bread and the wine remained bread and wine, but they were the vehicles, so to speak, in which Christ's body and blood came to a person. And Lord's Day 30 also mentions the uh, Roman Catholic Mass. According to Rome, the bread and wine turn into the true physical body and blood of Jesus. And also according to Rome, Christ's sacrifice is offered again and again by the priests as often as the Mass is offered. The Second Vatican Council, held in the 1960s, had this to say. The Mass is, is a sacrifice in which the sacrifice of the cross is perpetuated. For in it, Christ perpetuates in an unbloody manner the sacrifice offered on the cross, offering himself to the Father for the world's salvation through the ministry of priests. So, every time the priests give the Mass, Rome says, Christ's sacrifice is offered in that Mass to the Father for people's salvation. Now, when looking at the Mass... It's good to ask, is this the kind of meal that hungry sinners need? Well, the answer is no. This kind of meal only leaves us hungry again. First of all, physical food is not what spiritually hungry people need. 
Even if the bread and wine turned into the real body and blood of Christ, that could not satisfy our spiritual hunger. The body and blood of Christ would then just enter into our stomachs and out of the body. We need spiritual food, not physical food. It does us no good if the bread and wine turn into Christ's physical body and blood. Second, if Christ's sacrifice must be perpetuated again and again by the priest to have an effect, then the message the Mass sends is that the effect of Christ's sacrifice wear off. That the benefits of Christ's sacrifice are only temporary. They fade away. Get those benefits once at the Mass, need to keep coming again and again if you want those benefits. And it's much like physical food. You eat a meal, get what you need for the, for the moment, but the benefits of that meal go away. So the message the Mass sends is that the benefits of Christ's sacrifice do not last. You can be sure it has benefited you right in the moment. You can't be sure about the future. Will it benefit you in the future? You can't know, says Rome. And if that sacrifice doesn't come to you continually through the priests, you will lose out. But beloved, can someone truly feed on Christ and yet still perish? The answer is no. That's impossible. Yes, we agree that hypocrites can partake of the outward symbols of bread and wine, and that way we can say they eat of this spiritual food. But someone who truly eats and drinks of Christ's body and blood by faith will never perish. Christ says later on in John 6, whoever believes has eternal life. He has it in his possession. He has it within him by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has it by faith. And Christ continues, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is a bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. If anyone eats of this bread, he will not die. So Christ is saying he is not like the manna in the wilderness. The Israelites ate that manna and they died. The manna could not give them eternal life. But Christ can. And if anyone receives Christ by faith, he will never die. She will never die. And that is also the message proclaimed in the Lord's Supper. And this is the type of food that spiritually hungry people need. This is what Christ also gives us in the Lord's Supper. Lord's Day 30 teaches us about this. There are two main aspects of this message. The Lord's Supper testifies to us first that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. Here we see the benefits of Christ's sacrifice, they do not wear off. You see, Christ achieved salvation on the cross. He effectively bought believers for himself forever by his one sacrifice. And the Lord's Supper is not meant to 
give you the saving benefits of Christ again and again, then leave us in doubt about whether or not we will keep them in the future? No, the Lord's Supper is a celebration of the one sacrifice of Christ offered on the cross. We celebrate that those saving benefits of Christ do not wear off. Christ has purchased us once for all. And it's by faith that we receive those benefits. As we read from John 6, the work of God is this, to believe in him whom he has sent. And that faith, that believing in the one whom God has sent, is strengthened by the Lord's Supper. Also, as the knowledge and enjoyment of Christ's saving work grows. The saving work itself doesn't wane. It doesn't fade away. It remains. And this is what hungry sinners need. We need lasting peace with God. And this is what Christ gives. Remember the the words of Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Well, our hearts cannot rest in God if we are unsure of the forgiveness of our sins? How can our hearts find rest and peace in God if if we don't know that we have peace with God? They can't. How can any heart rest if God is at war with you? It's impossible. But in Christ's sacrifice, finally... Finally, we have lasting peace with God. Listen to Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And this is what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. This is what Christ feeds us with at his table that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, we have been brought into a position of grace because of Christ's one sacrifice. And what does this message do for people who are truly spiritually hungry and thirsty? Well, it makes us rejoice. Doesn't it want to make you rejoice if you know your sins and that you know that you need forgiveness of your sins, you need a Savior or you are going to perish eternally? Then you find out that God has given you that Savior so that you would forever have peace with God, that you stand under His grace. That is a cause for rejoicing. And that's why Romans 5 immediately says, after describing the peace we have with God, it says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, the effects of Christ's sacrifice do not wear off. So we don't look forward in doubt. No, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We look forward in faith to the glory of God that is coming. That's the first thing Christ feeds us with in the gospel message of the Lord's Supper. Second main thing is this, we enjoy fellowship with Christ. For all, Christ feeds us with himself as he strengthens our faith. He is the bread that came down from heaven, 
John 6 again says, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God gives is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. My flesh is real food. We are joined to Christ by faith. And as our faith is strengthened also by the Lord's Supper, as we partake and our faith is strengthened, the Holy Spirit, as it were, knits us more and more right into Christ's body in heaven. The Holy Spirit, as it were, he knits us into Christ's body in heaven as our faith is strengthened. That's why the Belgian Confession says what it does on the Lord's Supper. Certainly as we take hold of the sacrament in our hands and eat and drink it with our mouths, by which our physical life is then sustained, so certainly do we receive by faith as the hand and mouth of our soul the true body and true blood of Christ, our only Savior and our souls for our spiritual life. Christ feeds our souls with himself. He does it by faith. So again, as our faith is strengthened, also through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit, we say it again, he knits us into Christ's body in heaven. We are joined to him. We live in Christ. Christ lives in us. What does that speak of? It speaks of fellowship. We experience real communion with Christ. And in Christ, we can know that we are known by God. He knows us. We've been chosen by Him. We're loved by Him. Our fellowship with God that we lost in the fall has been restored through Christ. We We are supremely known by God and loved by Him. Christ Himself says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never, never cast out. And that's what we need. That's what our hungry souls need. Apart from God, we will have no rest. But in Christ, we find that God is our loving Father. Beloved, this is what Christ gives to hungry sinners in this spiritual meal. May we rejoice and give him thanks for all that he gives. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 69.